Welcome to Build an Iconic Life Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Whitehead, and this podcast is dedicated to help you build a life with zero regrets by focusing on how you have everything you need to stand up, stand out, and live life on your terms. Let's dive right in. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Becoming Iconic. I've got somebody that um, we were talking in the back studio a little bit. Uh, I've been following Brian, this is Brian Grasso, everyone. I've been following Brian now for, gosh, eight or nine years on social media. Um, Brian, you have been putting out content that is raw. It's real. Mm -hmm. It's your personal experience. Yeah. When, when you've moved from, you know, Canada into deep Canada, and then, you know, you move back to the States and here's Carrie, you know, wearing bathing suits and, and, and men are like flocking all over online. And so there are just so many aspects of how you two have lived your life out loud for the purpose of actually helping other people to become more of who they are. And iconic is all about that too yeah that um i was i was really really excited when you said yeah man let's let's get on the podcast mm -hmm. and jam so um what would you describe your career in the last decade like okay. where have you gone what have you done what's the purpose behind it and where are you going now that's great stuff man first of all you're a great dude i really like this is an honor for me you're just a stand-up guy and i'm so honored to be here and being asked to be on this iconic show. Um, specifically, your question. Let me just backtrack a wee past a decade. Um, I spent a large part of my career in the um, athletic performance space, and uh, what I, I classically I was called a performance coach. Um, to whittle down what that meant, though, is that I dealt with the mental and emotional performance of elite athletes. So. Olympians, pro athletes, national team athletes from around the world. And that, that maneuvered me into the uh, consultancy role. I'd consult around the world with different governing bodies and Olympic committees and pro athletic teams. Um, and, um, you know, I get asked a lot because I've had some of the athletes I've worked with, you know, win Olympic gold medals, et cetera. The question I get asked is what, um, what separates the gold from the silver medalist at that level? And it's not athletics because they're all elite and amazing. It's the half square foot of real estate between your ears. That's what separates them. Um, so when I left that profession and I, I, I had an inkling, and by the way, when I say I left the profession, um, I, I don't know, I, I like being a Renaissance man. Like I, you know, I've been a poet, I've been a speaker, I've yeah. been an author. I've, I, I, I don't look at life as having a career. I look at life of, as having several careers, all of which are very passionate and speak to my strengths and the things I enjoy doing and how I like to impact people. Um, but I couldn't get it out of my head when I left the performance industry that the stuff I taught in that nexus is stuff that everybody else needed to understand. That, and I, you know, you described Iconic to me in the backstage, in the flame, and I loved your explanations that we all have seeds inside of us for greatness. We all have that capacity how do we then marshal it out? How do we compel it um, to work in our favor versus our disfavor? And that's actually an important point. Left to its own devices, your mindset will work against you. Yeah. Right? And you have to marshal it 
and you know, I don't love the term, but it, it applies. You have to understand the way the brain works so you can manipulate it to work in your favor. And so I, I jive naturally with Iconic and you and, and the representation of the flame. So the last decade or so, that's what I've been doing. I've been working with um, entrepreneurs. I've been consulting with large corporations. Um, my wife still works in the elite athlete space with NBA basketball players, as an example. But we, we we're bringing the mindset and emotional intelligence end uh, to performance and success just in different marketplaces. As a matter of fact, what we're doing now is primarily geared towards adolescents, kids. Where did that come from? That's a funny story. <laughs> so we were living up in the mountains of Quebec, Canada. And then backstage, Chris, I was telling you about that. You know, we, we lived at the top of a mountain in a forest, no neighbors for two and a half miles. Uh, very isolated, really nice, very tranquil, very peaceful. Um, but we were doing all this mindset work via live stream. And so we would live, we had a home studio, we'd live stream onto Facebook every day. Um, it became a very popular show. We, we won live stream rewards. Sometimes, you know, we'd have viewership into the million people a month would watch our show around the world. Um, and in a very interesting happenstance, the recording artist Pitbull, um, you know, became connected with us via uh, a third party we both knew and then he started really liking the things we had to say and how we phrased them and so he invited carrie my wife down to miami to discuss the idea of collaborating with him on certain things because he's really into that most people know pitbull as just a singer or you know a hip-hop artist uh, but if you listen to him talk he's a very mindful mindset oriented person and so carrie flew down to miami and she sat with them for eight or nine hours on a given day. And they talked about this array of ideas of how we could work together. And what they decided to settle on, and I think it's beautiful, um, is that um, unbeknownst to most people, Pitbull actually owns 22 charter schools around the United States. Um, and they're called SLAM, Sports Leadership Arts and Management. They, they make the curriculum a bit off-centric from standard curriculum. And uh, he doesn't charge kids to go to the schools. It's it's funded by him and his uh, nonprofit. Um, and so what he asked us to do is create a curriculum where we could teach mindset and emotional intelligence to the high school students at his at his charter schools. Um, so Carrie and I uh, moved our family from the mountains of Quebec to A1A Boulevard in Miami, Florida. And uh, we started building this curriculum and then piloting it at two of his schools in Florida. One is in Miami, one's in Boca Raton. And, uh, you know, about five or six months into that, um, we, we met together, myself, Carrie Pitt, the, um, the superintendent of all of his schools. We met at a restaurant in Miami and we agreed. The students loved it, the administration loved it, the parents loved it, everything was working perfectly with this curriculum. And so he asked if, if we would roll it out to all 22 of his schools nationwide, to which we said, of course, it'd be our pleasure and our honor. Um, three days later, the pandemic started. Ugh. So schools closed. Now, you know, Chris, you're, you're a successful man. I'm gonna say something and you're gonna, of course, say, well, yeah, that's what you do. Um, we could have let it stop or we decided to do what successful people do, we pivoted. Yep. How do we pivot to make this still work? And Carrie came up with the idea of taking, okay, if we're not gonna be in schools for the foreseeable future, where else are we gonna find teenagers? 
And she realized you're going to find them online. You're going to find them in apps. And so we set upon building a company, infusing capital into it, working with um, tech teams and hiring a CEO, et cetera, et cetera, to put our entire curriculum in a gamified app that is user-friendly for young people. So it's really, you're, you're building this acumen of skill and understanding of emotional intelligence and mindset, but you're not even realizing it because it's so embedded into the game. You're just playing the game. Uh, but the app itself is teaching these lessons. And now we're incorporating AI and even AR, automa uh, um, augmented reality into this app over time so that we're, we're, we're availing ourselves of where the science is going. And so that's the, the long story of how we got into it and where we are now with it. Tell me this app is available. Not yet. It's coming oh, out well, later in 2023. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to know when it is. I, I want to know tell when you. it is. Yeah. Um, one of the, for me, um, so my first business was K&R Services. I was 24 mm -hmm. years old. I had gone to college and about six credits shy of graduating, mm -hmm. had my own issue with the dean of the school and said, I'm done with this. Yeah. So I work at Radio Shack, become the number one salesman in the Eastern region. And I'll never forget, uh, a couple came in one day and he said, I don't understand why you're working here. Mm. And instead of feeling like he had said something negative to me, I felt ashamed. Mm. And the reason I felt ashamed is I realized I had been regressing to not try something. So I ended up uh, getting hit on by Amway, which is a multi-level marketing company and saw all these little zeros written on the board. And I couldn't figure out how to be a manager and work a hundred hours a week and build Amway. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody that was successful and they were cleaning houses. So long story short, I walked out one day, told my wife that I'm quitting. She said, we'll stay for the insurance. And I said, too late. And, uh, and within six months she was working with me and, and Brian, I had no idea what I was doing, like sure. zero idea, but I was on fire. I was listening to these little Amway tapes, $7 mm -hmm. a month. They would send me two or three of these tapes and I'm going down the road and I never made any money with Amway, but boy, oh boy, did that mindset training start. And my real personal development began with a book called the road less traveled by Scott Peck MD when I was 20 years old. Sure. And I realized for the first time that I could choose who I wanted to be in this life mm -hmm. and that, you know, I'm from the South and I was raised in a lot of uh, very fundamental Christian upbringing. So there was mm -hmm. a lot of guilt and da, 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 da. And this was the first opportunity for me to go. What if I let that go? So as K&R services developed, I ended up moving from North Carolina back to Virginia and I ended up naming the company WPR services. It was Whitehead Painting and Restoration. Mm. Here's the kicker. I spent more time working with my men, helping them heal yeah. from the trauma of childhood than we did. And we made a lot of money, mm -hmm. but my real passion was like, hey, you can get off Oxycontin. Hey, I'll be your brother. Hey, we'll go do this together, even though I own the company. And it was this compulsion to want to help people. Yeah. And here we are today. <laughs> both of us to touch children though yeah before they have some of the experiences that you and i both had walking the long dark highway yeah precisely what the hell has happened to my life yeah um i know i'm, I'm appreciative that i'm strong enough to have survived that that's about all i can yes. say 
Yeah, well said. I mean, you know, it's fun. I, that was beautiful. And I want, if I can, I want to touch on it for a second because one of my side gigs, I'm a chief culture officer for a, a tech company. And I, it sounds funny, a corporate officer describing that job as a, as a side gig. But it really is. It's, it's not a huge investment of time for me. I love the work. I love the people. Uh, but my job in that organization is to, is to create, maintain, and, and nurture a solid culture from top to bottom. And that's like breathing to me. So I, I really enjoy the work and it doesn't take a huge amount of time or energy. But the reason I bring it up is uh, I'm always reminding people that um, a good company builds people. Mm. and people build the company. Mm. So our objective is not to build the company, it's to nurture the people who are building it. And so I couldn't agree with you more in that it's an end around that most people can't seem to work their minds around, that the best return on investment you'll ever make is the people who work with and for you. If you build them, they'll build the company and everybody will win because of it. So I agree from top to bottom in everything you said. Um, and yes, it's, um, I often joke that I wish I had me or our app when I was a teenager because <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot of dark nights. Uh, but at the same time, I'm grateful for what I've you know, traversed. It, it's made me who I am. But that, that is our objective. Um, you know, one of, our, one of our mainstays is that we intend to eliminate teenage suicide and the use of pharmaceuticals or the dependency on pharmaceuticals. Now, people listening right now and watching may seem, or they may they may suggest that eliminating teenage suicide is a pipe dream. And I look at it, I think the world is made up of pipe dreams until someone makes it happen. Uh, but I do agree that eliminate is a very strong word. We use it on purpose. Um, but really, the dependency on pharmaceuticals, that's something we're really after. Um, I know big farmers not gonna like it, and I know we'll have a ton of opposition. Um, but I just don't like the idea of teenagers being uh, compelled or, or defined as needing um, an external uh, medical intervention to regulate things like dopamine and serotonin, to, to deregulate their natural emotional curves. I think it's, it's just a, it's a far more sensible approach. And this is the ilk of our app. Um, learn to regulate your emotions, learn to understand them, learn to appreciate the way the mind works and how we can manipulate it to work in our favor. I think investing in that with kids is far superior than investing in a pill that they may or may not have to take for the next 15, 20 years if dependency um, is incurred. So that that's a lot of what we're after with this app and the greater brand itself. You know, not to mention that if you know any of the science behind it, you start plugging up the receptors yes. for serotonin to flow mm -hmm. with a drug. Um, what it means is that addiction starts and it yes. means that the body will not naturally produce that chemical on its own. And right. so <clears throat> that's part of why Big Pharma probably isn't very happy with what yeah. you're doing, because uh, it's <laughs> it, it, you're, you're taking the system away that actually self-supports. And um, I saw an, I saw a post yesterday online and it said the same people that create the pandemic are the ones that provide the solution. Right. And like and you, you get tagged with being a conspiracy theorist for saying that. But isn't there common sense to what you just said? 
I, I'm not interested in buying the solution from the person who caused the problem because I automatically assume there's a nefarious consideration behind it. And how could you not? How could you not assume that? I don't think it's even remotely conspiracy, uh, conspiracy oriented. I think it's common sense. And, you know, I, I'm always very quick to say I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not dispensing medical advice. But uh, what you said about serotonin and receptors is exactly right. Um, another thing to consider is that um, I believe in natural means. I believe that the human body is built to regulate itself given the right environmental structure. And um, most people who, who don't know the science don't know that serotonin is produced primarily in the gut, not the brain. And so I'd like to know about gut health and what a child or an adolescent is eating on a regular basis. I'd like to understand their sleep cycle. I'd like them to understand how important those things are. I'd like to talk about physical activity and how essential that is in regulating neurotransmitters and hormones. And until we start talking about those things, I don't think we should be shoveling pills down kids' throats. You know, you and I are neck and neck for age. Yeah, yeah. I'll be 50 soon, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm 49 uh, October. I'll be 50. Mm -hmm. And I have seen on, on my dad's side the more corporate structure of life and, mm -hmm. you know, working for the State Department and then he privatized and he was in big tobacco and the mindset of DC and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. on the other side, my mom is a white collar hippie <laughs> and I've seen the older generation having a harder time keeping up with technology's bell curve increasing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I've also seen the proliferation of information is making things like conspiracy theory go out the window. Now, I don't necessarily partake in the flat earth theory, sure. but I like you a little bit. I'm a bit of a poet. I'm a bit of someone that likes to squint my eyes when I read things and say, what's the author trying to say? And if you understand maybe that they don't necessarily believe that the earth is flat, what they're saying is we won't just buy information because you tell us this is the way that it is anymore. Yes. And these younger kids all of this is happening as if by design. Yes. The app that you're creating, the energetic push toward people wanting to ascend out of this, uh, even this body. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to be careful, in my opinion, because all it takes is one degree shift and we're now living in a metaverse doing the same pills and the same things when that's not the concept of evolution that we were striving for in the first place right and so some of us for whatever reason are compelled to stand on the rock and yell at people in the most polite way possible that mm -hmm. there might be another alternative and the yes. beautiful thing about what you and carrie are doing is number one you're doing it together which is mm -hmm. really amazing number two you've continued to elevate yourself you were 49 years old doing squats doing doing weight lifting doing yeah. things that people by our age stop Yes. And it is not, look at my beautiful muscles. You have sweatpants on that you rip up or the shorts that you pull up yeah. and, and, and you're going in with the shirt and the stocking cap and you're like the hell with it. And yeah. you have not just done that because I want to show you that I'm lifting weights alpha alpha. You've been yeah. doing it for a couple of years in live videos to show a progression. You've talked about yeah. the shoes that you've worn. You've talked about how you stand. 
there's so much meaning for anyone that wants to see success if they're just willing to pay attention to the clues. Sure. Yeah. And I fully support what you're doing with these children, man, because they are hungry for yes. it. Man, I appreciate that all so much. Just to give a, a, a broader snapshot, a snapshot to your viewership, um, my wife became a professional athlete at the age of 42. She's uh, currently ranked third in the world in, uh, in the fitness uh, competition federation that she competes in. Um, I intend to win the world championships of powerlifting. I imagine I'll be about 53 years old when that happens. Um, you know, if there's so much to say, Chris, based on what you said there. I think a lot of what we do is we try to help people understand that their limits are self-conceived by and large, and that a lot of those self-conceived limits are based on influences we've been handed our entire lives. Like you said, I've been hearing it, and so have you, and so has everyone else, that when you hit mid-age, 40 to 49, you know, you got to start reconciling with the fact that you're not going to be as physically apt or prowess-oriented as you were in your 20s. I disagree. I, there's no science that says that's true. None. It just became something we accepted. Um, matter of fact, I've done all the um, historical research because I was interested. And the Spartans, perhaps the most robustly uh, physical warriors this planet has ever seen. And get this, to all everyone watching right now, it was expected that you were going to be in the Spartan army as an active duty soldier until the age of 65. 65. But we've convinced ourselves that at 40, the best we can do is go for a walk. It's just not true. Um, you're right. I, I use my powerlifting on Facebook as a progression. Uh, I, I, I don't take my shirt off and show you my abs. I'm not trying to be impressive. Um, but if you really have watched the journey, what you've seen is a man who has taken the simple and consistent road to getting better over time, because that's all we can do uh, at any age, by the way. Um, and it's one of our core values. Simplicity plus consistency equals success every time. We use it in our company. We use it in our lives. We use it in our athletic pursuits. And it's a core value we're teaching young people through our app. Simplicity plus consistency will always equal success. Dude, I love that so much. Uh, my personal exploration you know, began at 20 and it began sooner, but it really started honing in at 20. I started taking life a little bit more seriously. And all I ever wanted to do was to figure out the foundational rules of anything. Mm. That's all I needed. The rest sure. of it is creativity. I, I just, that's how, you know, the universe made me. That's how God made me. And to know that there are other people that are out here that have the exact same purpose in mind. Sure. And that aim for good. That's that's what this whole show is about, man. Yeah. Because what if one person listening today says, "If it is to be, it's up to me." I guess I'll just starting. I'll start being simple. I'm just yeah. going to start being consistent. And I'm not going to worry about whether success shows up or not. Sure. I'm worry about being consistent. Yeah, process goals matter more than outcome goals every day. Meaning the process that'll take you there is much more important as a metric than where you want to go. Um, let, let me, you metaphorically talked about the one person who might listen to this. Let me talk to that one person. Let me, Jeez. let me say to that one person, you know, if you're watching or listening, maybe it's you. Um, everything Chris just said is accurate. 
right? If, if it's going to be, it's up to me. But let's take it out of the axiom for a second and put it into science. Because science, when it's proven, it's irrefutable. So there are two things about neuroscience that you have to understand as fundamental laws. And I love that you grounded everything you just said there is. Let me know the foundation, right? That's perfect. Because here's the foundation of neuroscience. There's two laws. Number one, um, your brain doesn't believe me. It believes you. So I can give you all the motivation in the world. I can tell you my script and my core values. I can tell you and show you what I do to succeed. But it's not until you start telling yourself that it's possible for you that it's going to matter. Your brain doesn't believe me. It believes you. That's number one. And number two, your brain believes everything you tell it. Everything. So if your internal language on a regular basis is very lack-oriented, very victimized, uh, very woe is me, very um, unworthy, your brain believes you. And now it'll set forth this expectation. It's a beautiful arc of neuroscience to know how it all works. Because it's like I said before, when you know how it works, you can manipulate it to work in your favor. So if I have internal language that is lack-oriented or it's um, unworthy, okay, that becomes what call, it's called my unconscious narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, the most dominant unconscious narrative I have will press forward into my conscious brain in the form of an expectation. So basically what my unconscious is telling my brain to do is to make this story right, prove it accurate, Okay. It's not metaphysical. It's, I mean, I know we talk about laws of attraction and all right. that's beautiful, but it's actually much more neuroscientific than people realize. Once my brain has received the coordinates from my unconscious mind as an expectation, my brain's job is to comport all of my actions, habits, behaviors, beliefs, uh, decisions, and choices into this realm of proving that story accurate. So if you're that one person who needs to hear this today, um, if you've ever said to yourself, when something happens in your world, see, I knew it wouldn't work for me. See, I've tried before and I always fail. What you don't realize is that you're creating a reality. Because long before it became evidence in your reality, you were telling yourself it wasn't going to work for you. Your brain received that message as an expectation. And it comported all of your actions, habits, behaviors, choices into making certain that that prognostication came true. And then your actions in reality simply reveal what your unconscious narrative has been this entire time. So if that's the loop, and it is the loop, that's the way science works. If that's the loop, we, we need to manipulate it. Too many people, when they want to make changes in their lives, their eating habits, their training habits, their relationships, their money, whatever it might be, they try to amend their actions and habits and behaviors. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to eat better food. I'm, I'm going to start saving 10% of every paycheck, something along those lines. But inevitably, they self-sabotage. They, they, they try it for a couple of days. Maybe they make a little traction, but then they just revert back to their old habits. Why do they revert back to their old habits? Because the actions, habits, behavior, behaviors aren't the problem. The problem is the unconscious narrative. That's what's driving the expectation. So if we want to manipulate it, let's go back to rule number one and two of neuroscience. Your brain doesn't believe me, it believes you, but it believes everything you tell it. So you want to change your reality, tell a better story. 
Tell yourself relentlessly what you want. Make that your dominant narrative and watch as your brain receives that expectation and begins to comport actions, habits, behaviors, choices, etc., into affirming that narrative as real. So if you're that one person today, there's your, there's your takeaway. Tell yourself a better story relentlessly. In 2012, by the way, that was beautiful. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Thanks, man. In 2012, I created a program called Activating My Purpose. Mm. And the in, and I've sold it sold it to thousands of people through a company that I had called Think to Succeed. And now I give it away for free. Beautiful. And for the first two hours, what I'm doing is telling people and showing people that your unconscious mind through the reticular activating system that can only hold a few things at a time because otherwise we'll go absolutely ass crazy. Yep. Um, controls everything. And the simple formula that I used was out of Napoleon Hill's book, Success Secrets, that you literally ask the universe for what you want. Then in the law of reciprocity, this is what I'll give in return. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing if you know your major definite purpose in life, because yep. that's what you will give relentlessly. Yep. By which you then believe it. And then you simply thank God at the end of it, right? Well, what my experience has been with everybody that's been through it is 30, 45, 60 days in, if they'll put it on their cell phone and listen to your own voice, sure. talk to your brain, yep. it doesn't necessarily immediately happen. But what mm -hmm. does start to happen is the opportunity start showing up that now give you the opportunity to work to make those yes. things happen. A million percent accurate. And yeah. dude, just everything you just said, it's like, it, it, if people could grasp one thing, mm -hmm. if you're listening to Brian today and you even have a thought, I can be the change. The truth is, is he's told you, yes, you can. Yes. All you have to do is write it down on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. say it to yourself exactly what you want, and then what you're willing to do to give back to the universe so that you can have it. It's that simple. It really is. It really is. Um, can I expand on all that? Please. You, this is your show, bro. <laughs> I love what you said there. And you mentioned the RAS, reticular yep. activating system. And it's an important part of the brain to understand. So again, if you're that one person who needs to hear this today, um, the, R the RAS is almost like a filter. More, more, It is a filter. And the way it works is this. And this is where I always tell people, you know, 3,500 years ago, Lao Tzu, who wrote the book, The Tao Te Ching, talked about this concept he deduced uh, he called it the many worlds interpretation, which effectively means what his, his thesis or his hypothesis was, is that there are several realities available to us at any one time. They're, they're happening concurrently. But the only reality you see is the one you're aligned to. Now, you know, you fast for people in antiquity thought that was fantastic. But then you fast forward to contemporary society most people hear stuff like that. They think it's completely wonky and woo-woo and nonsense. Well, until quantum science comes along to establish what the RAS is and how it works. In actuality, Lao Tzu was spot on. Um, 
the RAS is a filter. In any given 24-hour period, there's a trillion pieces of data mm. that come into our general census. Now, like you said, Chris, that's overwhelming. Our, our, our census can't accept that much data in a given day. It's overwhelming. We, we, you know, the chaos that would ensue if we accepted all that data in would be overwhelming, right? So there's many filters that we use to take in that data and then make it conscious, meaning we recognize it, right? The RAS is a huge part of that. So here's an example. If, and you said it perfectly, 30 days in, opportunities start showing themselves up in your clients' lives. That's exactly right. Because we've reconfigured that filter <laughs> to now see the reality that we have made our narrative understand we want to see. If, if, if uh, you, you know, you're maybe overweight and you want to lose weight, but you don't change the narrative. Well, likely your narrative every day is you're calling yourself fat. You're saying things like, I've tried every diet, nothing ever works for me. I'm going to try this, but it's probably not going to work because I've tried everything else and nothing's ever worked for me. If that's your narrative, all the RAS really hears is that nothing ever works for you and you're fat. So what it's, it's accepting this trillion parts of data, it's only finding the ones to put into your consciousness that prove that story right. So Lao Tzu was correct. You're only seeing the reality you're telling your RAS you want to see. But if you start to tell your narrative in a different way, well, now you're augmenting the RAS to filter things differently. Now you're seeing opportunities. Now you're seeing traction. Now you're seeing wins. So the way you phrased that was just a million percent accurate and it's scientifically valid. There are innumerable realities happening concurrently, but we're only tuned into the one that we have filtered is the stuff we want to see, even if it's stuff we hate, but it's the narrative that's dominant. And so we're compelling the RAS to only show us that part of reality. It's the most amazing thing, but it's true. And if you could just get that today, <laughs> then you realize the, the pen is in your hand. Tell the story you want relentlessly. I love the way you phrased it. Write it down. Write it down. And I, the second part of what you said was so essential because we say it differently, but we're saying the same thing. I always tell people the goal you want is question number one. But question number two is what are you prepared to sacrifice to make it happen? Because it's going to require a sacrifice. <laughs> right so you have to know that too so we're saying the exact same stuff just in different ways it's brilliant absolutely brilliant to everything you just said i want to know you have on your arm salubana right yeah i you know recently had it covered up but okay. it's still there underneath yes okay you know eight years ago people started saying namaste all the time yeah. let's talk about why that word means so much to you I want, yeah. I want people to, I want people to, number one, look, man, you are brilliant. You just are. Thank you. I want people to know the you, you. Sure. Because you're, and, and the reason I'm willing to ask it is because I know you share it freely. Oh yeah. 100%. And I want, I want people to understand the heart behind this human that's talking to me right mm. now. I Because you're a very deep human. You're Thank a very, you. very deep person. And, and I resonate with it a lot. 
I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the space you, you're opening up for me here, and I'm definitely not shy. Um, I think that I've I've learned over the years that um, I actually had a really good friend of me who explained it. She he explained this to me one time, and it made me even more thirsty to be honest and vulnerable. He basically said, he said, you know, you don't make me want to run out and get tattoos, but you willing to show up in the world as you are and share your scars makes me feel more comfortable showing up who I am and reconciling with my own scars. And so that really is what caused me to be even more thirsty to be honest and vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I mean, who I am behind it all, um, you know, I won't be long with this, but I can be poignant. You know, it, you know, one of my earliest memories of, of uh, a lack of worth I found in myself was uh, when I was in grade two, uh, I never liked school very much. And this, I went to school, I went to elementary school in the 80s, just like you, Chris. There was a lot less political correctness back then. So I never enjoyed school. I never excelled in it. Uh, and I remember at a parent-teacher interview, my grade two teacher telling my mom in front of me that uh, Mrs. Grasso, your son is retarded and needs to go to a school with other retards because he'll never learn, uh, write, read, or articulate himself like normal kids. Um, I, I mean, I was only seven or eight, but I remember feeling wholly embarrassed. And I remember it having a pretty big chasm in how I not just saw myself, but now the expectations I carried for myself. I'm retarded. I'm stupid. I'll never be normal. And so I, I spent a great deal of time in elementary, middle, and high school living up to that expectation. I got straight Ds all the time. Um, I didn't know at the time it's because that was the reality I saw. It was the reality I was given. That was the influence that I, then my RAS went to work on that narrative. You're stupid. You're retarded. You'll never be normal. You'll never be smart like other people. And so that became my reality. Now, you know, in addition to that, in addition, that that's just a memory I have. In addition to that, you know, look, at I, I'm never going to claim that there are people who didn't go through worse uh, childhood tragedies and abuses, um, you know, more so than me. I mean, uh, you know, I never would, I would never claim that. But, you know, I, I had my fair share of physical, emotional and mental abuse as a young person as well. And that helped shape the narrative in me that I, I really wasn't worth much. Um, if the people who were meant to love me treated me like this, uh, what does that say about my value? Uh, and I carried that narrative in my life for a long time, completely unbeknownst to me. I, uh, I sabotaged every goal I ever tried for. I sabotaged every relationship I was ever in. Um, I didn't know any of it was pinned to this, this childhood you know, experience I had that was multiple years in the making. Um, I, I didn't know that I didn't value myself. I didn't know I didn't have worth in who I was. I didn't know any of that. And um, that's why Salobona, the word, became such a, a flag that I wanted to plant in the ground, both for myself, but for other people. Um, because fast forward to 2006, um, and, I, you know, I should add to the story, I spent 12 years of my life clinically depressed. Um, you know, I spent you know, many years living in my parents' house, 
not in school, not actively employed, uh, most days trying to find the physical strength to get out of bed to go brush my teeth. And if you've ever been depressed, you know exactly what I mean. It's it's a it takes a physical toll on you. Um, but fast forward to 2006, I had I had righted the ship of my life to certain levels. I, I want I often describe myself as I was functionally alcoholic at that point, meaning you wouldn't know that I was depressed. You wouldn't know I was hyper anxious. You wouldn't know uh, <clears throat> that I had no self worth. Uh, because I made myself functional day to day, that I didn't represent those things. Um, but I was in Australia. I was in Melbourne, Australia in 2006. Um, I had started a company in the youth fitness industry. And uh, that particular demographic in the fitness industry was very explosive at the time. And so I got invited all around the world to speak about youth athlete development and how it all worked. And uh, I had been asked to speak in Melbourne, Australia, this rather large event. And so I flew out there and uh, I was sitting at uh, dinner on the first night that I was there with all of the other speakers and the organizer. And we were having a very nice dinner. I wrote about this story in uh, one of my books, as a matter of fact, because it became such a landmark moment for me. And I met for the first time another speaker. He was from South Africa. His name was Douglas. He was a physical therapist. I met him at this dinner, wonderful guy, very jovial, very intelligent, very um, easy to listen to. He was a really great communicator. And he and I were just talking over dinner and we were talking about the informality of language and how much language in our society had become so informal. And we were, we were noticing more and more that, you know, hey, what's up? Which is colloquial and it's fine, but what does it mean? <laughs> like, is there an answer to that? And the one thing I always remember Douglas said to me at that dinner, he said, um, you know, we're, we're often in such a hurry with each other that if you were walking by somebody you knew, perhaps they were a neighbor, and you, you know, you said, hey, Chris, how you doing today? And if Chris said to me, actually, Brian, I'm not doing very well. That's great. What would my immediate emotional response be? That's for great. For most people, it would be, I don't have time for this. <laughs> right? <laughs> and we just were spinning yarns about things like that. So then he said to me, he said, you know, I'm from South Africa, and in Zulu culture, there's a word, and it's pronounced Sawabona, S-A-W-U-B-O-N-A. And it translates directly into English as I see you. He said, that's a common greeting in the Zulu culture, because they actually spend a moment with each other. You know, we can be crossing paths, Chris, and we would exchange, you know, the word Sawabona, but we would pause for a moment. We wouldn't just breast past each other. We would pause and we'd look at each other and we would exchange energy in that moment. And we would make that moment about just us, not where I was going or what I have to do, not where you're going, what you have to do. But in that moment, we, we would find the, the, the importance of human connection to be so vital that we would spend time with each other just for a moment. And I was blown away and I thought, God, that's just such a beautiful concept. And Holy smoke, Salabona, I want to do something with that word. I want to write a book about it. I want to teach about it. Fast forward a couple of days, I was flying back home. I lived in Chicago at the time. And, you know, uh, we were 19 hours into a 20-some-odd-hour flight, and I was exhausted. But the, the whole conversation with Douglas started percolating in my head again. And I just had this moment where I realized Salabona translates to I see you. 
and it's meant to be something we share towards each other, which in and of itself is gorgeous. But what I realized in that moment is that we don't know ourselves very well. We don't see ourselves very well, right? Like I didn't know that I was carrying the burden of this abuse and these words and these things that happened to me. I didn't know I was carrying them as um, a lack of value and worth I felt in myself. I didn't know that. So it didn't seem to matter if I tried to lose weight or tried to be happy or tried to have a nourishing relationship with a woman or tried to build a business and make money. I seemed to sabotage it all. And I didn't know why. I didn't know all of it was connected to these things that happened to me when I was a, when I was a child. How can you not know that? And maybe a better way of phrasing it, we shouldn't not know that. Yeah. We should. We're in such a hurry every day that we don't spend time with ourselves. We don't know ourselves and we don't appreciate why we're either succeeding in this or self-sabotaging that. Um, and unless and until we get to know ourselves on a much deeper, uh, more intimate level, I would argue that we'll never be fulfilled, we'll never be happy, um, and we'll never really achieve what it is we want to achieve because there'll always be an anchor holding us back. And it's not, it's not because of the abuse. It's because I wasn't aware of how much that had been carried forward as a burden in my life and limited the value I saw in me. So that's what the word means, and that's how it came to be uh, represented in my life. And it's something I talk about and teach about all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it, by the way, before, before I say, or before you say anything else, I just happened to look over at my phone. I'm like, I only have a minute or two before I got a jet. I'm like, what a horrible place to end. But <laughs> maybe it's worthwhile that everyone just, Let's that in for a few moments. I honor you, brother, for getting on my show. Oh, thank you for the invitation. You're just, you're amazing. And this conversation has been electric for me. I knew it was going to be exactly like this. And um, I'm grateful for you. Hey, one minute. You have something coming up really, really soon down in yeah. Dallas. What's going on? Yeah, you know, in, in conjunction with um, this company, I, I work as a chief culture officer for. The company's called Metaplexus. Um, basically, we acquire uh, companies that have good, strong IPs and products. They just don't have good company culture. They don't have good systems. They don't have good marketing. So we acquire them and bring all of that to them. And then we help grow revenue together, um, but in primarily in tech space. Um, you know, they came to me about two months ago and said, look, we're going to start hosting a couple, three events a year. But, you know, Carrie, my wife, is also on the Metaplexus team. She works as the lead coach, uh, executive coach. And uh, they said to us, they said, you guys are just so good at events and event management and getting on stage. And so, like, do you guys want to basically host this event on behalf of our company? And we said, sure, absolutely. So it's, um, it's just outside of Houston in this beautiful place called the Serenity Garden Farmhouse. That's the name of the event center. It's 30-some-odd acres of land. Um, February 24th, 25th, 26th, I'll be speaking, Carrie will be speaking, but Martha Krejci, Jesse Elder, Dr. Allison Brager, it's all about um, the mindset, the path, 
and the optimization of you for 2023 and carry that into business, relationships, whatever you want. And here's my favorite part. I, I, I didn't do any of this. This is something Metaplex's brethren did. Um, for something like that, usually the price tag is $997 or $3,000, whatever it is. Um, it's $197. Bucks. But here's the best part. Your meals and your lodging is included in that price. What? Yes. When they told me, I was like, really? Doesn't even make sense. I had no idea you were doing that. But you, you, you get VIP dinners both nights with the speakers and the Metaplexus uh, executive team. They have cabins on site on this 30-some-odd acres. You get one of those. You get full access to the event, all for a little under $200. I couldn't you, believe it when they told me. You, you hit me in the DMs about that. Send me that link. We will, will. Be, promote, we will be promoting that alongside of you for you. I, I so appreciate that. Bro, and, I, and I know you're busy. I hope you can be there. If you're not, Chris, I totally understand, but I'd, I'd love to hug you. I will. <laughs> dude, <laughs> I'm, I'm going down to Dallas to speak at the beginning of the month. Um, I will leave that date available because I would love to see you, man. I'd well, love to see you, and I'd love to bring some of my, uh, my people that are around mm -hmm. that area to come check you out, too. I, I want to honor your time, man. I love you. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank you for this invite. Thank you to everyone who watched and listened today. It really was a pleasure and an honor for me. Jam with you soon, brother. Take care yes. of yourself. My guy. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. See you, man. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Hey, friend. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to catch future casts. If you really enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it so others can benefit from it as well. I'll see you in the trenches.